0: This is Han Solo, and you're listening to Octo Radio,
1: a Star Wars podcast. I don't know. Fly casual.
0: What is going on, everyone? And welcome to a brand new episode of Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast. And I tell you, I'm going to tell you right now. It's not going to be a happy one. This is sad. These are sad times for everybody here. It's Andor season, but it's the pen ultimate episode of Andor. Some of you call it Star Wars Andor, which to be honest always kind of weirds me out a little bit. I just feel like Andor by itself sounds better. Uh this is episode 11 Daughter of Ferrix which oh, what a title and so much thematic meaning packed into that. But of course, as always, like on all of these, I have not done them alone. I could not do them alone because they're too dense. There's too much going on. You don't do a book club by yourself. And with a show like this, I absolutely would never want to do it alone. And in a harmonious, perfectly fortuitous occurrence, I was on a show at the time of this recording, last week. And now I have the illustrious hosts of that new podcast on this week. And that is Savi and Linz from Stardust Records. Hello, friends. How are you?
1: We're so good. How are you?
0: I'm okay. I'm good. I mean, we know this is a sad one. We've been talking about it already for like 40 minutes. So like (laughs) the vibe is already there. Linz, hello. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. I'm ready to get into this.
0: Yeah. You you both had me on your show, Stardust Records, a brand new podcast. Not brand new. It's not a newborn, but it's definitely like an infant. (laughs) Been around for like seven, eight weeks now that you guys have been doing your show. A largely inspired, of course, by Andor's existence. This show finally, four years since it was announced and this show finally comes around you're both i think fair to say rogue one is your number one film um for both of you uh in terms of star wars i don't know if it's fair to say that cassian was has been your favorite character from that movie the entire time but if he wasn't then he certainly is now it feels like uh with Jin and cheer of course and everybody well up there in the rankings i'm sure so this is an extremely personal show for both of you so on stardust records you've been covering this show as well as other star Topics. So, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on one of your episodes. Everybody, go listen to that for sure. How are you feeling coming out of eleven?
2: Oh man, I was. I anticipated this episode so much because I knew that this was going to be. I wasn't sure if it was going to jump us to Ferrex because I knew that the the end, the last few episodes could be very much together. I assumed that we were going to be getting to Ferrex, and this episode and the next episode, we're going to be covering everything that's going to happen at the end. Um, so I was sort of surprised when we did start to watch it that we were getting sort of a a bridge episode into what's going to be the actual finale because we've been expecting, you know, arcs or, you know, uh, episodes that kind of go together. I mean, they all flow pretty well, but we do have some definitive arcs. Um, so I assumed that this last two were going to be very much they go hand in hand. But it was sort of a bridge episode. Um, I don't I don't like to use the term filler when I talk about media because um, I feel like most anything that someone produces and creates, I just don't like to say that something's a filler because people like spent time yeah. on that. And it's it means something. horribly
0: misused word.
2: Exactly. You? Yeah. So I loved this episode. It was... I loved how they handled each character and each plot point i was sad but also kind of like like i was really getting excited for the next one especially with everything that happened in this one so yeah those are my general thoughts
0: general thoughts on lens and then Savi. building off of that your thoughts and then also if you would like to be the one that acknowledges the elephant in the room the, the bold choice to kill Marva and or off screen <laughs> in between episodes was a huge shock, I think, to many of us.
1: I think so, too. For me, it felt like this episode, the perfect way to describe it. Basically, it just felt like the result of an adrenaline rush. So you have this like amazing prison arc and you're like hyped the whole time because you know that they're going to escape because how could they not? And then it's like... I guess it's the calm after the storm or like the exhaustion that hits after like a marathon. And that's how I felt during it. And then on top of that, like you said, like Marva dies. And I, I feel pretty confident that she's dead. I know there's like a lot of theories and stuff, but I like the way that they did it. I, I like a lot of things about this episode because like, like you said, Lindsay, it, it, like it wasn't a filler. It was definitely a bridge. And, you know, it's like the adrenaline rush. It's over. And then now we have this like really... we. We left this episode with like a really, I think the word is anticipatory. Like we are anticipating what's going to happen when Cassian goes to Ferrix. So I'm excited. The episode left me excited. I am in mourning but yeah. it, was, it was great.
0: Yeah, it's extremely emotionally charged in as much as you get these episodes, Game of Thrones does it a lot, lots of shows, Breaking Bad, lots of uh, premium television. Uh, <laughs> there's a, a lot of like table setting, like the pieces are in play and this episode definitely felt like that. Whereas coming out of 10, the adrenaline of One Way Out and of Kino and of Luthin and, and Lonnie and all of that, you're like, oh, it's about to go down. But then the show also takes its time and chooses its moments it's like well hold on let's check in with these guys let's see how they get off this world let's check in with Ferrex. let's see what morning looks like there, explore that culture. We already liked ferex, but now at the end of the season, I've never liked it more. It has even more personality um in terms of their customs and their culture. And so we'll get into all of that. I don't break the episodes in order because it's all so intercut that it would just give everybody whiplash and it's a whole thing. And so we're gonna break it by storyline and we're gonna end on the sad stuff. So we'll build there and everybody, you know you have time to pour a drink if you're listening and uh, get ready to toast Marva with us um, Um, Also, by the way, have you hear any like the pitter patter of little feet? Yes, that is Mando, the show dog who is in charge of... (laughs) pretty much everything. He's the real mastermind behind all of this. Now, let's start on Coruscant because Coruscant is always an interesting thing because the Coruscant in this show is so different from the Coruscant that we saw in the prequel trilogy because you're not seeing it through the eyes of the Jedi. You're also seeing it during a very, the dark times, yes, in, in general for the era, but it's also we're in lower levels, we're in meeting rooms, we're in houses, we're in apartments. It's, it's very different tonally and it has been throughout the show. A few different characters here. Not like I'm saying we're ordering this in terms of importance, because everybody's important. But some people got less in this episode. So let's knock a few of the smaller things out while we're here. Let's start with Cyril getting a phone call in the middle of the night. Edie Carn. this woman sends chills up my spine every episode and she did as well imagine this woman waking you up in the middle of the night to tell you that someone was calling you just immediately unsettling i know a lot of people have been like is cyril gonna kill his mom has been a thing all season uh he did not in this episode uh but oh boy that that is the that apartment might be the most uncomfortable place in the star wars galaxy so tell me about this sort of callback to the first arc like it's Even though you don't work for Primor anymore, uh, we might have Andor. Like, it it might actually be happening. How did you both feel during the scene?
2: It was a surprise to see that face again, Um, the man he worked with there. I forget what his um, ranking was, but uh, he was the one that was just under Cyril's, like, command when they went to Ferex. And he's calling him over basically... Zoom, to tell him about Cassian, a sighting of Cassian, or uh, not a sighting of Cassian, but the thought that Cassian might return to Ferex because his mother passed away. And it was just, you know, there was humor in this scene because of the fact that they could hardly get through to each other. And, you know, they got them like replying to each other all disjointed. I thought it was interesting that, because we've seen little hints of what Cyril has been doing sort of behind the scenes, stuff that we didn't realize he had done. So when he was at his job and he was trying to find more information about Cassian behind his job back. Mm. Now we see that this man that he worked with before he left Primor, I'm assuming he told him, hey, if anything, you hear anything about Cassian Andor, you call me and you tell me. And so the, this man was like, you told me to tell you if there was anything about Andor and this is what I have. I have ISB or Imperial chatter saying that his p- mother passed away and he might come back. So there you go. And I just thought it was interesting that like he's he's out of a job. He's working at like a smelter. And he's like calling Cyril, like between the smelter going off and like recharging or refueling and stuff. He's like, ah, you know, I thought it was, it was, I was unsettled because of realizing that Cyril has been like on this. Like, I mean, we knew it, but he's been on this this whole time and he's had people like uh, reporting to him or, you know, and, but then also the the funniness of the situation and then Edie listening, like right around the corner to hear what's going on. You know, and then of course we've got the, thought that he's, you know, he's leaving, he's going to go back to Ferrix. And you know, what's yeah. going to happen there?
0: There was that little cut too, when she does end up leaving in the morning for whatever it is she does during the day, probably working in an office making people's lives hell uh (laughs) he sneaks into her little vanity and steals some 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 money and then you know he's being a little creep so savvy why don't you weigh in here on on the serial of it all in this episode as this uh problematic boy just gets worse
1: he does get worse and i thought that we couldn't get any worse than was it the episode before this one where he cornered dedra at work i think that was my favorite part was his him stealing his mommy's credit card (laughs) I don't know. It's something that he would do. But uh, I, the whole scene with like the space face time of them talking, we knew that he was going to go to Ferex because of the scene in the trailer where we like see him fall on the ground because of an explosion or something. But I don't know. It could be somebody else. Uh, It could be that spy. All white men look the same. (laughs) um, (laughs) That's canon. I will be honest. I didn't think much of this scene because I knew that it was kind of just like a transitional scene where Mm -hmm. like we, we had to get him into the plot line where like everybody starts to meet up. Mm -hmm. I feel, I don't know. I I am excited to see what he's going to do. I don't really have any predictions because i just think that he's gonna be a little shit on Ferrex like he's been everywhere else yeah
0: yeah it's interesting because i think that and and it's been interesting to see it play out i think that arc one really sets up cyril as the a villain of the show and he really hasn't been at all and there really hasn't been one at all it's just been imperial rule is the villain it's just oppression fascism is the villain as Nemec will tell you recipes and the the entire idea of how it affects everybody like yes deidre and cyril are if you had to name the two villains they would be the answers but to see him just sort of be this like it's not like he's it's not like they filled the season with close calls like oh he almost got him or or they they had a blaster fight or that none of that ever happened he really did just get that office job and become a fail son and now he's stealing like you said mommy's credit card to afford a trip back to where he lost his last job and it's just it's such a unique take on a star wars villain he's almost like I don't know if I want to say what I was about to say, but I'm going to. He's almost like Kylo Ren, but 10 times more pathetic and not part of a legendary magic family. Like (laughs) he, he doesn't have any power. You could see him throwing a tantrum like Kylo does in Force Awakens, but at least Kylo can back that up with the force, lightsaber ability, something. Cyril's wasn't even a good cop. He wasn't even good at it. And so it's been such, a, it's been interesting seeing a villain whose villain arc is just falling apart. Like yeah. his villain arc is just constant patheticness, which I think was well executed. And again, it's funny, you know, like you were saying, Linz, like it's funny to see the, the cutting in and out of the message and Andor's not a show that has been funny haha! but when they choose the comedy moments they all really sing it's a different type of style it's a different humor i think edie is hilarious um just her existence my my, my still my favorite moment of the show comedy wise is the uh and what does my collar say about me and she's like it says look at me it says i'm desperate like that <laughs> that has stuck with me it's so good so yeah this scene sort of is Part of our Coruscant element. There's stuff with Deidre throughout, um, in terms of her and and, and Bix and everything. And we'll get to her more when we get to the overall picture of Ferex. But staying here on this planet, there are two other plot lines that are going on. One of them is the the continued Luthan network of rebel spies. In this case, referring to Vel and how Vel shows up to Luthan's shop to confront him. He's not there we will later find out that he was heading to visit saw and you get this really interesting it's almost blocked and staged like good theater just two actresses just at each other's throats but in a really calm way of vel and Clea, and the way that they are sussing each other out they have like you get the idea there's differing philosophies probably some history we're not akin to are they exes I don't know, certainly feels that way sometimes. But this entire idea of Clea is sort of the buffer of this inner circle very intentionally like luthan has her almost like a shield she takes his appointments she shuts people down she distracts and vel was sort of able to break through that in this scene and really sort of step up to her and it was interesting to see them get fleshed out so whoever wants to jump in first out of the two of you to talk about this one this was an interesting interesting moment i thought for sure for both characters
1: i do wonder like what because in the aldani arc when luthan is talking to vel He implies that, like, Vel wanted to be a leader and, like, wanted to lead this mission. And we don't really see... We do see, quote-unquote, leader Vel in the Aldani arc. You know, she, like, leads the mission, like, takes initiative with all of the imps and, like, throughout the entirety of that. But here, I felt like I saw more leader Vel than I did then. Like, I feel like this is a very, this is the type of Vel that, like, feels like she can be a leader. And it's kind of like her environment is starting to, like, change. So I think that it's causing her to kind of, I don't want to say step up, but I'll say step up because I can't think of another word. It's definitely really interesting to see in this scene because Clea, we've seen in previous ones with Luthen she kind of talks back or bites back or and she obviously has like a very strong persona and when we first see vel and Clea together it's like super i don't want to say aggressive i don't think that she was aggressive i just think that she was very like she's very this
0: hardline. Is... i mean she was yeah. the one that i mean she delivers the kill order on cassian you know like she, mm-hmm. you get the idea that Clea, like without them showing her do any action in this show they managed to make her a very threatening character like she she has a she's not being aggressive she has aggressive energy right and, yeah yeah and i think to your point about aldani at the time we thought that was the real bell and it wasn't until later that we knew that she was as mothma says please go be a spoiled rich girl for a while so i almost wonder if her confidence level was because she felt more at home in a rich people store than she did in the plains and hills of aldani yeah like, maybe it's like okay, I'm back. I'm rich. Like, you know, remember that you work at the store. Like I, you know, I, I, I'm a equal player now. It's not like Aldani where months of work was about to come to fruition. So she does feel more comfortable um, in her way. She's also visited Mon and I think feels a little bit more at home on Coruscant than Aldani, which was obviously so different.
2: And I was gonna, to this point about, we didn't know that she was a rich girl when we were introduced to her in the Aldani arc and i was just thinking as you're speaking that it makes so much more sense her hesitation her i guess her fear when she was on top of the dam with sinta and she was hesitating and sinta's like you got to do this you got to got to go and she's hesitating and i was like man if she's their leader if she's been the leader for months if she's she seems like she's pretty hardcore like you know what's all this about and now this makes so much more sense. Um, I'm not trying to downplay Vel's strengths or say she's like really weak or anything because we don't, you know, but I'm saying like this makes more sense knowing her background and Mm. it's very, uh, that scene in the shop when she comes in because clea seems very like a mm-hmm. she's not doesn't she doesn't stand for being talked back to or things going off book or you know off plan um and she basically says that to all she's like you're not supposed to be here this is not how we do things this mm-hmm. is very irregular like if you're going to be in this you know circle or you're going to be in this with us you need to like follow the rules kind of thing and Bell's just like ah, nope don't care we're having this conversation and that's when we get to see them like sort of butting heads. And I, I think Val was like, what have you done lately? Like I gave, I gave Luth and Aldani, what have you done lately? And I love Clea's response. She says, I don't have lately. I have always, which I was like, Whoa. Oh, it gave me chills. Good and dialogue real good. Yeah, it was awesome. And so I, I really want to see where we're, they're going with this because as far as we've seen, there's nothing throwaway in And. Everything has a reason and everything will be explained. Who knows? Maybe it'll be explained in season two. Maybe we'll see more of this stuff fleshed out and things will make more sense later on. Maybe we'll see some of this come um, together in the next episode in the finale. But I just, I thought it was so interesting how they showed that even just Luthan's small group has its issues and has its players that don't want to play by the predetermined rules that they've set and what that means and where that can go because seeing how in the scene specifically disjoint i don't want to say disjointed but just basically like not everyone's on the same page you know there's no like you're the general you're the sergeant or you're the captain like there's a ranking like you know you can't talk to them this way or you can't do this or that there's no real set um ranking or structure like that and so seeing this now and then knowing how it's going to be in a couple years for the rebellion is just it's just uh it's just interesting to see i like it
0: it goes back to the aldani lately. everyone has their own rebellion you know exactly I, I, it's, it's not that you you know you made the point already You're, it's not to downplay bell strength at all hardly but environments are important people yeah Thrive differently in different sort of like we, we've seen that with Cassian. It, he thrives in situations where he can, you know, he can absorb small detail. He can observe patterns and everything. That's why he becomes a natural spy. That's why he was able to be this guy on Ferrix that owed everybody money, but was still able to like live his life because he just he understands people. Vel is in high society that's where she comes from we don't know Clea's backstory but she it seems like she has a darker sort of feel on this rebellion she's willing to go to Luther's meetings for him to protect him she's dedicated she does think that sometimes you have to kill your own and so there's all of this and knowing cinta's backstory and everything even though it was told to us by Skeen, so there's always a question mark on anything that Skeen said you get the idea that's probably true but she was you know her family was destroyed by stormtroopers so there's this idea of everybody having these different perspectives. And we've seen even Luthen and Mon. Mon's in the inner circle and they never agree. So it's like this idea that, like you're saying, we have to have the dysfunctional family before we get to the Rebel Alliance. And and we've seen the way that, you know, and let's, let's, this is the perfect time to move into it. I think into the Mon stuff uh, on Coruscant of this episode. This is the woman that we know the endpoint and we know the midpoint We know that when she encounters our rebels characters uh in in rebels and in secret cargo i believe and she has she's alone she's on the run and we've seen sort of how again environments by the time mon is around like-minded individuals that believe people like princess leia people like luke skywalker Akbar. she's this figure like when you see von mothman return of the jedi she has this energy of calm and and clarity of purpose to quote someone that she does not agree with very often uh (laughs) but this idea that mothma has she's been in the war now like she's the story of somebody that has to leave sort of this high society where she has been broken. It's not like the days of Padme and Bale, where they could do legislation and like try to actually do their jobs. And it's been this slow build of, well, her husband sucks. Oh, why does her daughter have such an attitude? Oh, is it because of the husband? Yeah, it kind of is, but it's also traditions and the way that you get that with Vel and the heteronormative expectation that she would find a husband and us knowing that she's queer and Mothma clearly knowing. And there's been all this build as to why Chandrillan tradition is bad, quote unquote. I mean, I'm sure it has its positives. Like all these cultures have positives and negatives, but it all builds to this realization that Mothma's daughter is like self-radicalized. And that when Vel walks in and see it's a two-part scene. The first part is about Lita, the second part's about the money. But this part about Lita like broke my heart to realize that. Your, your daughter has friends, which is good. She has community, which is good. And you can't jump in and sort of tell her she's wrong because it is her culture, but you are also a woman that is, has been married and like understands the downsides of it. And Vel seems horrified too. Like, oh my God, is this really going on? All this religious, you know, nonsense. And they refer to the elder, I guess, as what I'm assuming is the Shandrillion God. And it's just this weird moment of realizing we know she has this choice to make, right? This Davos scaldon offer oh, that's not a proposal, but very clearly is. And it might be made for her, not by her or by parent, but by her own kid, um, which is really weird. So talk about that in terms of just like how it made you feel, but also, I mean, this show's done so much, right? Like it's talked about the police, it's talked about the prison system. And now right at the end, Tony slides in religion too, as like sort of one of the last attacks, really.
1: It was really interesting to see throughout the episodes where we've seen Mon's family. We've kind of always suspected that, like, Lita felt this way towards her mother because of other reasons, possibly because of, like, Mon's busy schedule or things like that. But then when I saw this, it kind of shifted for me. I was wondering if Lita felt this way towards Mon because. Mon doesn't want, I don't know if this has been expressed like vocally to Lita, but like Mon, obviously we see her crying and she was very upset with Devo and she doesn't want this for Lita, what her and Perrin got, because it's obviously made Mon miserable. And Perrin as well. And so, there's
0: that, that quick line that even Perrin doesn't, he, he, he's yeah. surprisingly, what is it? He's surprisingly loose on this subject or surprisingly liberal or something like that. Like, yeah. he sucks, but even he's like, nah, forget all that. Like, yeah. he probably didn't want to marry mom.
1: So it's interesting to see because maybe Lita feels this way towards her mother because of that. So what we thought was kind of something completely different is now this so i'm really interested to see where this goes in the next episode and how they'll kind of not finalize it but just like i suppose maybe like wrap it up or or show us what happens because i'm assuming that they're going to meet the family but i i do just like you said like i do just wonder if lita will like say yes and be okay with it and mon is kind of at war with herself
0: yeah because it's like you you know you made the bad choice but at the same time making the bad choice might be the thing that makes your daughter like you more yeah. Which is a weird thing. So, uh, Linz, what about you? How do you feel?
2: Yeah, this makes some of the earlier lines between the family, um, the earlier dialogue in different episodes, make a little bit more sense. Specifically, going off of what you were talking about, Savi, um, thinking that we we assumed that she was the way she was towards her mother because perhaps her mother's not in her life or things like that. But could it be that Lita picks up on Mon's like sort of pulling away from tradition and lita has become closer to the tradition or religion that they have while mon clearly isn't following exactly what she's supposed like in lita's eyes perhaps mon doesn't embody what she's been um buying into um and so lines like where perrin tells lita like you need to talk to your mom about something when clearly this is almost more i don't know i don't want to say this for certain but it seems like a patriarchal society, Chandrila, and yeah. so
0: you get the hints like so.
2: So you have when you find the
0: husband, and you have to do this,
2: yeah, this and, and so when parents like no, talk to your mom about this. Lita's like, well, no, and then when they're talking at the table with Vel, and um, she throws in the line like, oh, mom's old boyfriend, like that, and she's she's. She doesn't like that. You can clearly see that she doesn't approve of Mon and Tay hanging out together because that would be sort of against, I guess, the religious uh, marriage sort of, the way that kinderling society and culture focuses on marriage. It doesn't fall into into that. And so Lita, I think Lita's like, kind of annoyed with her parents because they don't, specifically Mon, because they're not following mm-hmm. what she's probably buying into. And so this is just my perspective on no, what right. we've seen. And so I think that, oh man, it was just, it broke my heart to see Mon so upset because I think that she's going to realize that this is what Lita wants. And if she goes against it, it's just going to drive Lita further away from her. But she's but if she gives in, Lita going to be gone from her forever anyway. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, no matter what she does, she's going to lose her daughter. And she can either lose her daughter to a marriage that she doesn't personally think is good for Lita. And also secure the, the funds that she needs to be okay. Or she can put up a fight. But if she puts up a fight, like I said, she's just going to lose Lita anyway. And yeah. then she won't be safe. And so it's just such a hard, terrible a- thing.
0: It's a great example of of taking a really noble character who we know is good. Mon is one of the like most. If 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 you had a category of purely good people in Star Wars, she's there. Like she's all <laughs> she's a hero through and through. But you've put her in a situation where she cannot come out of it with her hands clean, either as a businesswoman politician or as a mother and wife. It's like like you said, you're yeah. gonna lose her either way. So do you gain dirty money and lose her to something that she wants thus you probably gain dirty money but and gain daughter approval but really lose her or do you stick to nobility do what you think is best for yourself for your conscience for your daughter for your family, buck tradition a little bit, but then still be 400,000 credits in the hole and risk the whole operation with Luthen and Tay. So there's positives, negatives on both sides. And it's, it's a really interesting way to break it down. And the way that Genevieve plays it just a God tier actress and just everything that she's able to do with the smallest lip quivers and the the single tears and the eyes watering. And then when you get Faye Marseille in there and the way that she comes into the camera focus and is like, you're not taking proposals. Like they do so much to tell you how bad this culture is without ever going to the planet. Like we don't, we still haven't seen Chandrilla in live action or animation. I don't even think we've seen it in a comic. Maybe I could be wrong about that, but it is just, it feels like this and to know that that's where Ben Solo grew up is interesting. Uh, you know, the idea that he grew up around some of the most uppity and judgy people is is an interesting yeah. element.
1: What I love about this specific arc is that with Mon, like, as the, the Chancellor, eventually in the Rebellion, capital R, you know that she has to make a lot of decisions as like the head of the house. But in this instance, where she's also technically, quote unquote, the head of the house, it's always nice to see a situation where somebody in such power, I'll say power for now, won't always win. Like they'll eventually have to make a decision. But sometimes... It's never like a, there's never like a better decision or a worse decision. Sometimes they both suck and you have to choose the lesser of the two evils, I guess. So it's interesting to see how this is portrayed. Like you describe the two instances where like Lita would gain Mon's approval, but like Mon would lose Lita. And then if she were to not do it, then she would lose Lita regardless so
0: like she might think you're a better and more proper mom but it would be a hollow piece it wouldn't be a relationship and by the time it's interesting now to look at later canonical material like princess and the scoundrel where we know that when they get engaged she says to Mon, like i'm gonna marry han and they have this really adorable moment and now it's like ah, like how much weight that must have for Mon as a shandrillon to hear somewhat excited to be married. Someone that, like, two adults that found and chose each other without any of the just garbage nonsense puritanical stuff. And I also think it's an interesting comment on young people in general, which Star Wars is always a comment on young people in many different ways, but specifically, it's it's an ironic take on everyone has their own rebellion. And there's been a couple ironic takes on that. Skeens was just a good character moment in terms of him saying, I am a rebel. It's just me against everyone else. Lita is one of those teenagers it's like my parents are liberal so i'm going to be a conservative and Mm. and that's and you and you think like you get like really conservative parents in real life and their kid turns out to be like rebel rebel rock and roll but the reverse happens too where you're embarrassed you know you're maybe she goes to school and her parents uh her parents get talked about or mom gets talked about she's a public figure and it's a very interesting psychology at play here and it was you know with this sort of being the, the second to last episode I would. I don't know if you would both agree and jump in and answer, but the I I think Mon throughout this entire show has been the most surprising storyline because I think when you say we're doing Andor, that's our next show, Mon Mothma is the main character. I think all of our fan brains were like, oh, well, that will be the lighter part of the show, not funny or anything, but like that will be where like good stuff is happening like rebellion like that will be we'll probably see bail it'll probably be very like we'll get a lot of senate scenes and that was in the trailer we only got like two or three senate scenes they were all really short and most of her stuff has been really sad family drama and i don't think anyone of us expected that really
1: it was definitely it was funny because i remember people like before we even really had like a plot mm-hmm. for andor like even when we had the teaser like people thought that mon and cassian's stories would like sort sort of merge and mm-hmm. then we would have like a completely different and or than the one that we have now but her story i think is the more melancholy than well, let's say cassian's because he's you know the other main storyline because it's so personal like it's familial some people might even be able to like see their own family in them see their own kids or their mom oh yeah so we even they even went as far as like giving us a dinner scene with like or it was a breakfast. But, you know, like with Belle and, you know, she's she's gay and, and like it's stuff like that. Like we're, yeah. we're getting oh, you down. Have, you
0: have somebody's you have a white dad at the kitchen table saying, don't tell me you get all political. Yeah, like it, it could not be more of right now. I mean. We're recording this episode before Thanksgiving. Like that's going to be a lot of people's Thanksgiving. (laughs) That's going to be real for a lot of people um, here in the States anyway. And it's uh, yeah, it ended up being a very poignant and very real um, story in terms of everything that's going on. And yeah, uh, Linz, unless you have any last thoughts about the Mothma stuff uh, in terms of Lita, then we can transition into that last little bit with uh, her and Belle talking about the money and all that.
2: No, I think I I think I'm pretty good on that. Uh, I just I just hope I hope the best for everything. But I, I feel like maybe the situation won't be the best for mon
0: yeah i think we've pretty much covered it and and savvy to your point about like leadership like sometimes you don't it's the lesser of two evils a lot of times it's different calls and and also to put it in the context like i joke about this a lot like you have to take mothma from the deleted scenes of revenge of the Sith and now andor where she's still trying to make it she's trying to work from the inside like uh, tony gilroy compared her to nancy pelosi at this stage like whether you agree with that or not is up to you. But the 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 idea of I don't have to get my hands dirty. Legislation can do it. Laws can change it. Policies, petitions. And her lesson throughout this show has been Nope, not anymore during the Republic. Yeah. Sure. But it's not going to happen during the Empire. And by the end of this woman's journey, at least on screen, who is she surrounded by? Yeah, some 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 mainstays, but she's got a really motley crew. You got Two of her generals are criminals: Han Solo and Lando Calrissian. (laughs) Like she's gonna have to learn to accept weirder types of company, shadier types of company. She's gonna have to learn to to make difficult calls. Like, uh, let us not forget, General Draven works for her. By the time of Rogue One, and Draven, you get the idea that he does the wet work. Like, so he's Mothma probably is like, "Don't tell me what you're doing." but I know you're doing it. And those are the types of calls she's going to have to make.
2: Yeah, and we see some of that. Um, again, I mentioned this in our episode that we did together, but um, Rebel Files has some uh, correspondence between Draven and Mothma, like, so, like a, quite a bit of correspondence between the two of them that's written out. And you can definitely see that Mothma's like, she doesn't want to make certain decisions, but she sees the necessity of them. And she's even questioned like, you know, where is like, what place does Cassian Andor have in this galaxy after everything that he's done? Like, she basically questions that. She's like, what can we do for these people to help them? Because we know, like, we've asked them to do all these terrible things. And so, yeah, to your point, she definitely has to to get right with those things and um and maybe not get right maybe not feel good about it i don't but, think she does feel good about it but i but think be she willing to do it yes yeah. but i think that she does come to a place where she's like okay these are the things that are happening and this is what needs to be done to move forward and i don't have to be okay mm-hmm. with it but there's a bigger picture here and um Yeah, so it's really interesting seeing her move into that.
0: Absolutely, and that's classic Star Wars. Like, Mm -hmm. when has anybody, when has any hero of Star Wars ever felt full confidence? Like, that? it wouldn't be a myth if there wasn't. Like, Luke doesn't, you know, he doesn't feel good about having to fight Vader. it you could apply that to anyone you pick any star wars story like ezra doesn't feel good about leaving his family like he he has to abandon the ghost crew to save them like it's like nobody feels a holy good but it's the it's the fact that you are brave enough to actually do it and and the fact that mothma will get to that point where she's you know she's there she's not in an office in return of the jedi she's there at war and she knows that an act of war like yeah we blew up a desert we gotta blow up another one and and that is her reality and it's and it's i don't think intentional or otherwise because there are a lot of creators you got george you got you know jj ryan dave filoni tony gilroy there's so many people whether it was something that they just inherited or realized but it's not a coincidence to me going all the way back to new hope that the people that did exclusively sort of fight with their ideas and with their legislation and everything like padme and bale and brea and everything they're all gone and everybody left are the people that were like sometimes you gotta fight and mothma has to become that mothma is the last holdout really um of that old guard and and it's sad but it's powerful to see and i say war and that word comes up in another scene and uh, we talked about Vel looking for Luthan. Well, where was he? The Fondor was not out back. He went to go visit a friend of ours. He went to go visit Mr. Saw Guerrera, impeccably played once again by Forest Whitaker. This, is, this was the trailer moment for me that I was obsessed with. It was in here, the call it what you want, let's call it war, and saw was the earliest accept, acceptor of, of this, you know, we see him bad batch. He's already like, yeah, it's been three days of the empire. I'm already ready to fight. Like, it, you know, he's, he was prepared for this moment. The second he lost his sister, you know, saw his is broken. And this was an interesting scene. It had comedy. It had intrigue. It was interesting to see Luther convey ideas get confronted with the idea that they are at war because Luthen thinks this can all be handled from the shadows and 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 whereas saws like no sometimes you need to shoot a mother effort. and that is the difference between them and saw doesn't care about being known it, that's something that i love throughout the show is like isb you hear several times there's partisan activity in this sector we're going to tax the sectors with partisan activity Luthen's group doesn't have a name there's no tax about them. They're not being talked about. And that's the difference between these two guys. And to see that difference really come to a head here uh, while also being full of club shittos, while also having a fully functioning base, uh, was a lot of fun. So whoever wants to start, let's talk about uh, part one of Luthen is Batman in this episode, because we'll get to part two, which was a huge moment, of course, in the ship. But this whole conversation, I think, is fascinating. And it all revolves around a third party, Anto Krieger.
2: So going into the scene I was wondering why Luthen decided to go there and I assume it was because I maybe I just missed it but I assume it was because Saw wanted to talk to him about getting the um, supplies and things to go and join Krieger and because when we see Luthen being brought into the base Saw's like yeah okay I'm ready to go I want to join him like, ch- like he totally changed his mind
0: yeah why? Was, my I impression don't... too was that he called Luthen it was probably yeah I need to talk to you
2: yeah. yeah, and listen's like, okay, but yeah, he's like ready to go. He wants to join him like, you know, and he's like, oh, it's going to be soon, you know, I don't know. And finally, you kind of suss it out or Saw susses it out that like, hey, something's not right. Like you wanted me to join him. Now you don't. Why don't you want me to go? And then it comes out that, you know, Krieger's going to be ambushed. The ISP is gonna snatch them all up, probably kill them all, interrogate them, torture them. And Luthens, like, you know, pump the brakes, man. You don't want to be a part of that. We don't want to lose you too. Then Saw's like, what if it was like, what if the what if the situations were reversed? Would you have just let me die? Mm-hmm. You know? And and um I we were speaking of this a little bit before recording. Um, you made the point that this is really showing, this is starting to show Saw's paranoia. That, you know, there's spies in his group that, you know, people are all out to get him. The people that he thinks that he could have trusted, quote unquote, because I don't know that he really trusts anybody, really. And we saw a little bit of this when they first met. When he's going on about all the other groups, you can hear the music mm-hmm. kind of like <laughs> insinuating his. I don't want because like I don't want to say saws like I don't want to say that he's I, you could just hear the paranoia in the music. Yeah, he's not our basically him yet
0: yes because rock bottom is rogue one like yes that's i mean he sees his you know the closest thing he has to family and Jin, and immediately assumes it must be an assassination
2: which is so sad yeah and and so then we get yeah like luthan you know it's like oh yeah i have someone here it's tubes and tubes is like what the hell no and and you know like you're saying we get a little bit of humor in that but also really shows that Saws definitely. This is definitely not one of his good days. And Luthen's reveal of Krieger's mission being basically botched because of everything doesn't make it any better. So, um, I loved Selen and Forrest's acting in this. This was amazing. They were so great in their first scenes together, and in this one too. I was just blown away. Uh, their chemistry, the way that they played off each other, um, just the energy of their dialogue matched each other complemented each other in just the perfect way that kept me just like staring and wanting to understand and and understanding both of their sides through the whole scene. Like, you could really understand yeah. where both of them are coming from, and I loved that.
0: That's something that modern Star Wars canon has done so well, is that it's easy to say, and I, I'm guilty of it too, that, oh, moth and Saul are on opposite ends. And, like, that's true, but they're not opposite ends where one's understandable and one's not. It's opposite ends of an understandable scale. I There are moments where he's right. There are moments where she's right. There are moments where Luthan's right now as a third point of view. and Savi, So building off of this, like, this this moment of having to break through his paranoia, Luthen as a as a character, he has to sort of see what, like what he says to Cassian. He has to see sort of like what's inside. Like he he's very perceptive in that way. He obviously he is a spy, and he he has this. He knows that he can handle the situation. He throws tubes under the buzz just to get pull a joke on him and grab the blaster. But it's like he knows what Saul will respond to, and he's sort of trying to talk him down. And it also again it forces much like Mothma's being forced to dirty her hands, this makes Saw, who has very bloody hands, it makes him realize like, am I the Saw Guerrera about to help protect an ISB mole? Like and how weird that must make him feel.
1: I think it's a really fascinating scene if we consider like other forms of canon as well. Like if we jump to Rebel Rising, I, I this scene kind of reminded me of the scene in the book And spoiler alert, I suppose if someone wanted to read it and is listening, the scene where Saw starts to figure—I suppose it's not scene; it's like over time. Saw starts to figure out that like people, or he starts to suspect that people know who Jin's father is. So Galen, and this paranoia, I feel like is it new? Like I feel like it's always stemmed from something in the past and has like grown to be more and more substantial and. It's, I feel like it's kind of like a halfway point because we're close to Rogue One and we're, I think this is like months af- after she it's, gets it's ditched.
0: close. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think I remember people telling me it's like because that was sort of the conversation, right? Is that his sort of like, I don't work with anybody, is very reactionary to being personally burned recently. It feels like, yeah, from his point of view,
1: yeah, by by Reese. I think on Tom's Air Prime, like where they're literally, I think that I, we talked about this in one of our episodes on Stardust records, but they des- saw does decide to work with somebody and he agrees to work with somebody and I'm forgetting her name, but she's an alien. And I, re- I remember the whole like spiel, how she doesn't want to work with humans and yada, yada, yada. But like, they end up working together. And then the whole secret mission on Tomsia prime happens. And then like one thing hap you know, like this big domino effect.
2: Well, to give a little bit more uh, weight to what happened, one of his men betrayed him. And that man was one of his top guys. Like he was, I mean, he was well-trusted by Saw. And, um, So to be betrayed by that person and then lose Jin in the same day Mm -hmm. was so impactful on him, I'm sure. And then we're in Andor, we're seeing Saw, you know, probably a month or a couple months off of that situation, which really lends to how we see him in the show. I don't know if, I don't know if the writers or I don't know if they've taken that into account. I would think perhaps they did. Savi, you posted, um, I think, an interview about this. I'm not saying you have to remember this right off the top of your head, but I believe Forrest was like calling, I don't know who it would have been. I'm not sure if it was Tony calling. Oh,
1: yes, he, I do remember. Uh, Forrest called and basically like asked about a bunch of the lore regarding that has happened with Saw since he started playing Saw, essentially. So he called and he asked about, like, Kyber crystals and, yeah. like, anything that he should know. They
0: probably told him about Fallen Order and Bad Batch. And- yeah. And
1: Rebel yeah. Rising.
0: Yeah. And so that that's makes, cool. That makes sense. Like, there's the Kenobi was the first time that Pablo Hidalgo was credited as lore advisor. So you can tell that there's at least been a shift in bringing that stuff up and, and saying, well, this and this, actually, and this and this, and... You know, not that everything before Kenobi was suffering; like they were doing fine. But it's cool to see those things where you're like, "Oh, that could be this, and that could be this." Like I was in "The ri- scoundrel," and it's it's forming a. I always use the word tapestry to the point where it's become an Alden meme. But like it's it's true. I mean, that's what it is. It's it's. You like can see no- the
2: cohesiveness.
0: Yeah, you don't lose anything if you don't know. But if you do know, it's like, oh, it, it's even that more rewarding of a scene. And that's why my most desired book right now is a Luthan novel. Because yeah. he did a Luthan novel of the 15 years that he's talking about. of, Or some point in it, or like, what broke him? Um, I keep using the Batman comparison. Like, maybe it was like his child or wife or something. and Or just anything that he could have been. I don't know. But he... I don't want to get too down the road of like, because I don't want to keep us here too long of like fan theories, but I really wonder if, because, you know, in in, in Obi-Wan Kenobi, Roken says that he was married to he doesn't say jedi but married to a force sensitive that like the empire went after like i almost wonder if Luthen was also with somebody who was force sensitive and that's why the sky kyber means more to like something going on like because the, the you know the radican empire or rakatan empire i always say that wrong the rakatan empire uh stuff that happened thousands of years ago would have had jedi involved like it just makes me wonder like because you know in early rogue one concepts Lyra Urso was a jedi and then that was minimized into more of a believer vague I wonder if they'll go that far maybe with Luther and like reuse that idea that maybe his wife was killed in order 66 or like just like just something I don't know but I want to know what got him to this scene as well and I think we have that picture with saw forming from Clone Wars to Bad Batch to Rebel Rising and Fallen Order um, but yeah it's it's an extremely interesting scene to see these these two go at it it's it's Shakespearean in its nature like you were saying Lindsay the, the chemistry you get the right scene partners sometimes and like Diego and Andy Circus had that and I think that uh, Stellan Skarsgård and Genevieve O'Reilly had that uh, Denise Goff and, and Kyle Soler like their chemistry is amazing for how like uncomfortable it is
2: and you can see that in their. they did a lot of interviews together those two specifically and yeah. they have an insane it, their rapport is very well seen and um it definitely paid off when they played these much more serious scenes yeah. um together as their characters uh yeah so they they were they're pretty funny their interviews are pretty funny they're definitely um denise is quite the character in all the best ways
0: yeah i, I really enjoyed all of that and i will tell you something else uh salvi unless you have any last thoughts about Saul luthan do you want to would you like to speak as two Tubes' lawyer in this moment and clear him of any charges i think it's so funny that luthan was like just for the lulls i'm gonna I'm gonna because again, Saw, it's Saw rarely like, He might have I don't know, he might have attacked two tubes if it was you know like that's <laughs> very risky to do that. Uh but yeah, any last thoughts on this whole scene before we get into the other Luthan scene if we're staying with him. We're good. We're good. Okay, here it is, everybody. Lightsaber ship confirmed. Uh everything that we had been waiting for it's Star Wars. Star Wars, baby, you got to have one space battle. This show, it was very boots on the ground. How are they going to do space? How's how's that going to work? We had seen one big space sequence in that first trailer, which ended up being the Eye of Aldani. That wasn't a battle. It was more of an escape. And this wasn't really a battle either, so much as it was a little ass kicking. They didn't really put up much of a fight, but this idea that he's leaving. So he's leaving Second Milo. And here we are imperial patrol coming through partisan i love how they're like there's partisan activity in this sector it's like yeah you're like literally right above them if you if you weren't so busy wasting time doing this you might actually catch them they're right there uh which cracks me up because now i picture saw and everyone on the ground like let's pack it up let's <laughs> get it pack everything up let's go let's move to jenna let's get out of here this entire sequence is just pure star wars cool it's again you weren't going to have a huge battle scene in this show because timeline wise there hasn't been a big battle and there can't be until Adalon and scarif and so like how do you get ship action in here this fondor we knew was special we hadn't really seen a droid brain that was that that was like actively speaking in a ship before really not in live action anyway and the the entire idea of this being the most tricked out ready spy batmobile because it's just a hauler classic like when you look up the, fa- the fondor is not the name of the ship the fondor is just what it is Luton's not the kind of guy i think that names a ship he's not sentimental like that but this ship has these we saw them in the trailer these side cannons that are like laser cannons but they shoot single beams that stretch all the way out they look, so it looks like the ship has double lightsabers and then it's got these like these saber dart sort of things but not the attack of the clones saber darts they just fire backwards and destroy this giant radar tractor beam automated turret it's just amazing whoever wants to jump in first talk to me about this scene and just how freaking cool it was
1: i instantly thought that the the person contacting Luthen on the imperial ship was brom titus
0: Okay, you're not the only one that thought that.
1: Okay, you're I was the like only one that thought that. I was like that's Titus. <laughs> I my was friend, like <laughs> my
0: friend Nikki thought it was Titus too. Has he been credited? Are we, do we know?
1: I have no idea, but in my head I'm telling myself it's bromtitis because bromtitis was to quote wikipedia was the <laughs> steward of a new experimental imperial interdictor mm-hmm. i don't know if that's how you pronounce it that could yeah. use its gravity well projectors to pull entire ships out of hyperspace and then he says this quote in andor if it's bromtitus he says we need the practice so yeah. i was like if this is Titus, then it makes sense that and does. also just
0: Brom Titus taking another l. <laughs> I like I love all the the recurring Imperials and rebels like it's Brom Titus, Constantine there's a couple of obviously cows, but there's a couple other small ones that just constant L's. they're just there to be jokes and it's the it's the best. there's the one that's getting demoted throughout. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> if that's Constantine or, or maybe Titus, but
2: Well, I think it
1: was Ra- Titus. It was Titus. He goes yeah. from admiral to <laughs> commander.
0: <laughs> it's so good. I love it. Um yeah, just yeah, give me your reactions to this to this to the action, to, to the the way that it all looked and worked and felt.
1: My favorite thing was that it's you could tell that Lucin was prepared exactly for this situation. <laughs> like he had every single backup plan prepared and ready to go he had like a script in his head what i love about luthan is his acting is so visceral like the way that he smiles and acts like literally turns into that person while also still having to keep one Eye on everything else. That's yeah. like what's
2: actually happening.
0: When he's like, "Oh, you know, uh, sorry, it's a one man show here." Yeah. Like, 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 like he yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. His his accent changes, his mannerisms. But then we see him taking control. And I, the moment where, and it's very. I don't want to say that it's like subtle. You can't see it happen because you can. But the moment that they decide, we're still pulling you in. Like we don't care about your. We don't care about your codes. We don't care about who your ID. We're still pulling you in. The moment that that happens, you can see him be like, okay, great. Like, so now I have to do that And I actually have to do this. Like he'd already prepared the weapon systems or he, the weapon systems were pre- preparing. But then he's like, I got to use them. And I thought that the, um, this is probably not, Tr- this is probably not what it is, but the um, what he shoots out of the back of the ship that destroys the uh dish, the tractor beam dish, reminded me of the flaket launchers from uh Rebel Rising, and I think they're in maybe mm-hmm. some other media. But they reminded me of that because like that, they are phys- they're not like a blaster sort of thing. They're they're a physical weaponry that shoots out like a spray of. Metal that can totally just wreck your day, mm. and um, in Rebel Rising there was some used in a cr- like a crowded like a room,
0: yeah. and it was
2: really awful. And so, but this reminds me of the same sort of weaponry because this was not a blaster. Um, this were not lasers. Yeah, this no, was something so he's physical,
0: physically ripping it apart. Whether they
2: exactly this looks like cliche launchers mounted on the back of his ship, which is insane. It would be even cooler if that's what they were because aren't they? uh illegal at this yeah, point yeah i think so um i'm trying to look i, I have it up on wikipedia we're, we're getting into the we're, we've got our stuff up the here but, uh, <laughs> yeah no it was really devastating um so the fact that yeah it was there was talk of banning such weapons from civilian use on the planet inusagi, inusagi because of what saw did because saw used that the way he did on that planet yeah there was talk of banning it from mm. civilian use because and of it they
0: don't show that in the book but Luthen called him and was like hey let me get one of those <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds awesome
2: <laughs> yeah and he's like, i'm gonna put that on my ship
0: <laughs> yep sounds um, great. my ship's gonna yeah. have that it's gonna have the i know there was there was a theory i think that alex damon from star wars explained said that maybe Luthen, like he has sky kyber and maybe it powers his his lasers, side lasers and everything because they are so lightsaber like but it was the. it wasn't just that it was the spin too like it was the spin it was so
1: the unnecessary we got our unnecessary spin <laughs> we got yeah, our yeah. unnecessary take spin. that
0: boba fett haters <laughs> that, that, i will defend the boba spin it was a boba it was the scad spin in boba fett uh forever because it was delightful it um, was a
2: good spin. Kylo
0: Ren also spins for no reason in Last Jedi. Did
1: there you
2: go. I to. mean, Luke did. Luke has done it, too.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. It's a classic. Like, it's
2: Empire's Captain is constantly yeah. spinning all the yeah, time. Yeah, Cal is always going to be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that man, the but, man loves it.
2: <laughs> but the but those lasers reminded me of, I mean, any Star Wars weaponry really can have this sort of um, bit to it. It's the spinning that really makes it special. But um, just they reminded me of the, uh, oh, gosh, now I'm going to make myself look bad in front of people. But like the spider, big spider droid things from the Clone oh, yeah, Wars God, that like just shoot like a straight beam, a big red beam. And then just like obliterate people. Yeah, um GM I don't remember yes. the name either. But, yeah. I don't remember the name, but those like the that laser kind of um, laser thingy. Wow, I'm so I'm so Star Wars-y. but um, yeah, it reminded me of that kind of deal over here. Yeah,
1: that's oh like, my gosh, I feel like Laser Thingy is exactly Star Wars fan. Like, I don't the think laser of is proper... what,
0: First of all, that's what George Lucas would say. All right, yeah. so like, let's not pretend. Like, yeah, <laughs> what cracks me up? What this is off topic. What what will always crack me up about Star Wars is that out of everyone in the world that should be an expert, you know, the creator, he probably like knows the least, and that just brings me such joy. <laughs> like. Oh, <laughs> God, I love, that's why I love that last Jedi uses the phrase laser sword. It just cracks yeah. me up. Um, it's so good. But yeah, this scene is just it's just fantastic. It was satisfying. I think the Fondor is a really special ship. I think it's hard because you want to make ships that feel like Star Wars. And it's it's not like other like Star Trek and things like that. And you it's, it's difficult to give them their own identity while sticking in the because we it, our brain we say star wars ship and you think most people think x-wing or millennium falcon if i had to guess or tie fighter and the millennium falcon like there's something that's like it's good guy coded like having a living room and things like it just it feels like home as well and they were able to make that original and cool with the ghost give it its own feel and i feel like they've done it again with the fondor where like it feels like it was made by corellians it's got those circle hallways and everything like it feels familiar but It's clearly such a dangerous beast of a ship, and I love. I think that that's that's so Luthan. It's a hauler, but it's a lie. It's it's a fraud.
1: Well, that's that's what I love. Like like to build off of that, a lot of the ships that we see alongside their captains are like a mirror of who pilots it. Like Hera and the Ghost. It's. Essentially, a house in space. It's a home. She's got, yeah, Luther Poe
0: and Black One, like he's yeah. he's leading two squadrons, red and blue, and his is going to be black because he's Poe Dameron, and he's cool as hell. <laughs> like, it, it just feels right.
1: Like with with Cass- even Cassian was like, I've I've flown one of these ships before, and it doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like you have this crappy little dingy in space, and it's got all of these tricks up its sleeve, and not not calling Luthen a crappy little thingy, but it's like a reflection of Luthen. Like he's just, yeah. Everything
0: about him is like, like a great example is in the first arc. It was something that wasn't talked about a lot and I'm glad it was, I mean, amongst fans. I would love to hear what Stellan says about it or or Tony Gilroy, but the fact that Luthen walks with a cane and doesn't need one. It's things like that never in the show has it ever appeared like he physically needs a cane ever but he has one and it's almost like he is also it's sort of the willy wonka right when willy wonka comes out of the factory and he's pretending to be all frail and then he does a somersault and he's okay luthan is like yeah i carry the cane but when it's time for business he just retracts it and puts it away he doesn't need it hit this hauler craft like you're saying like it's the mirror of like i'm a normal ship i have a bunch of codes Alderanian codes we learn and and he's able to just But it's also the home to his disguises. The ship has a droid brain, so it is also a character. And uh, David Collins is a great voice, as the voice of the Fondor brain. And then it's also part dressing room, bathroom, but it's also a death machine and it has all these countermeasures and it has different programs and different evasive patterns. Yeah. It's a very interesting thing. And it's an interesting point that you just made about pilots and their, and their ships. That would be a good episode to do out of Andor season. Just to think about like Lando and the lady luck or the different ways that the millennium Falcon changes with each of its owners. There's all these little changes and and yeah. And it happens a lot. I mean, that's what star Wars resistance is, right? The fireball is Kaz. It's a mess and that all works perfectly so i thought this scene was great um but there's one more big section to talk about that we're going to move into and that's everything happening on Ferex. so two small things to get out of the way um not that we think these characters are small they're not but just small smaller scenes deidra remotely giving this permit um, you know, her giving this entire, giving the funeral legitimacy because she knows that it needs to happen tactically. Um, we already talked about the death of Marva up in our general thoughts, but that lingers over all these events. Cinta knows that something's going on. You see scenes of Sinta uh, pretending to work at this little cafe. It looks like, um, but there's another spy there, so there's that tension too. So talk to me about this stuff that's building on Ferex, everything that's happening here, and then we'll end on, we'll end on them boys. Them boys meaning <laughs> Brasso B2, Melshi and Cassian.
2: I was really, like the first shot of Bix, I don't really have much to say on Dedra at this point because that was pretty like... You know, she had it under control, and she's like, "No, we're gonna we're gonna let them have this funeral, but we're gonna control it in a way that they know that we're there." But with Bix, um, I was just I like I was holding my breath the entire time, and I feel like that's how it was when we first saw her being um, tortured that scene with Dedra and her. But this was, again, the same the same deal. I was holding my breath the entire time. Like, she has been through it. She's been through so much. And you can see it clearly from the moment that scene starts. And she's unresponsive. She has to be basically dragged to the control room or the main room where all the operations are happening in the hotel. And she's basically dragged there. And they can't get anything out of her. And it almost seems like she wants to, like, I don't want to say that she wants to speak, but it's almost like she realizes that she just can't speak. Like, she can't answer. Um, You almost get that feeling of, like, being trapped in yourself. Like, she can't comprehend what is going on. And and if she tries, she just can't. And so she's just staring at this holo of um, Krieger and... She can't answer them. And it and the guy, oh, the Imperial that's there with her. just oh just, uh, oh, just
0: Tigo. Tigo yeah, Tigo yeah,
2: he just just makes me my skin call because he's like, you know, you gotta answer. And and he's like saying her name. And there's just something so unsettling about that. And the fact that she can't give them anything, um, or she doesn't, or at least we don't see it on screen.
1: And it just oh, it breaks my heart. What's even more upsetting if she can speak, but she just knows that no matter what she says, they're not going to believe her. I think in like the, the subtitles, it, it just says that she just starts crying, which is so heartbreaking because she just knows like this man isn't Luthan. They're not showing me Luthan. They're showing me Krieger. this isn't the man i introduced to cassian so even if i said no they're gonna be like all right well we have to use this on you anyways because we don't believe you no matter what you say yeah Yeah.
0: and then you know even though her you know her faculties are definitely rattled right now she's not really in her full, right mind under under duress under torture under anxiety and panic and exhaustion clearly it's also another moral choice like what if she doesn't know who anto krieger is chances are she doesn't so even with whatever You know sound of mind that she does have is she gonna damn this guy with a lie to save herself from torture so it's it's another it's another morality play like let's say she was like yes yes it is totally totally the guy what if that guy dies she doesn't know about the raid on krieger the audience does so we know he's a dead man regardless so it's playing with audience expectations it's playing with character motivations and it's showing how strong bix is i mean this torture as it's described to us, like had three Imperials go crazy, have psychotic breakdowns um, from hearing these sounds. And she's still, you know, she's not having dialogue really, but she's resilient enough. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, that's just super compelling and everything there. Uh, Like we said, Cinta doing a little spy versus spy and all that is happening. Um, But let's talk about marva's house um which is all extremely heartbreaking so marva is already passed on and they're cleaning out her belongings getting things organized talking about the way she would have wanted things like cassian would have wanted things and this is where uh b2 emo breaks everybody's hearts and um it's Probably what made him now my favorite droid I mean that answer changes all the time and I have many favorites um, but he's somewhere between Cassian's little brother and the old dog in the family someone tweeted him and described him to me as an old dog that can't get up the stairs anymore but is like still yeah. got a lot of love but he also it doesn't beep and boop he speaks and so he has a little brother quality as well talk to me about all of this Brasso and B and everything that's happening here uh, another character named Jezzy is introduced who's one of the daughters of Ferex We get to see a little bit of them how did this make you feel besides sad you know
2: well for me seeing the scene is introduced basically through the eye i say i of b2 um it fades into the conversation as if he's hearing it you've got the liquid of the cup that's on top of b2 like in full, like that's all you see in a couple of the shots. And it's shaking as he's being talked about and he's listening to what they're talking about um, as they're cleaning up Marva's bed at the time. And it just, to me immediately made me think of someone who's like on the verge of tears on the the verge of a break. Like he's, he's breaking down and he's in denial of it and he doesn't want to go. He wants Marva. He isn't, that's all he wants is just Marva to be back. And you know we see later on he thinks that she might come back and he wants to stay and it is just so heartbreaking and listening to Jezzy and um the other woman you know they're saving the blankets for Cassian like it's so upsetting to hear them be like well Cassian's coming back you know and he'll want this and Marva would have wanted this and you know what are we going to do about the droid and then you know Brasso being there to help and be like you know you're sta- you can stay you don't have to go with me Jezzy you know, you can help Jesse figure stuff out here. And then he, before all that, he even offers to say like, they're going to bring her out soon. Do you want us to leave her in here and leave you by yourself with her? Like he wanted to give the droid a moment alone with its owner. That broke me.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I love Brasso for that. I mean, he was so amazing with B the whole episode, but, or, you know, all the scenes, but I just, that
0: that B hasn't even fully processed it yet. Like, you, it's sort of baked into the character that because of his age and sort of just being beat down that his energy reserves are low his uh, his understanding is sometimes low his like it, I mean it takes him X amount of energy to tell a lie so something this massive you get the idea that yeah thematically spiritually emotionally for the character the character of b2emo he doesn't understand but he also might literally not have been able to process something this big this uh, this big of a loss um mm and it's it's devastating i mean we've all lost loved ones and stuff and we've all had pets and so it's it's a cocktail of all those emotions so Savi, how are you feeling during this and then also a couple of the later scenes too like the be convincing brasso to stay over and things like that
1: if we're going to compare b2 to, to an old dog like how tony did I always, I was thinking during this scene how B was like, you know, I want Marva, like I, I don't want that, like I want this. And Brasso was kind of like, he was so patient with something that Will, we, I mean, we, don't, I don't want to say never because it's a very strong word, but like Will is failing to understand the depth of the situation at hand. Like you could never look at a dog and like explain something to them, but like in, in this situation with Brasso... We see like we see a, a bit of Brasso and like how he is like he comes off of work and he helps Bix with Marva. But then here you can like really see like how in depth he w- or how into the Andor family he was. He obviously cared about Marva so much that he's willing to take B home with him, and he's also willing to stay with B in Marva's. You know, home. This scene was really short, but Brasso goes into Cassian's room and, like, has a moment. And I am so glad that they included that because, you know, Brasso, when we first meet him, is covering for Cassian. So there was obviously, like, a level of closeness, whether it be, like, you know, like an uncle or like a big brother to Cassian or something like that. But it's, we got a lot. More of Brasso than I thought that we would. And I was really pleasantly surprised. Mm. I, I, and I hope we get more. We saw like some great personality traits coming from him. And to see somebody in Star Wars treat. A droid in this way specifically in andor like when we know k2 is coming in season two i'm really excited to see how they'll handle that with how they've handled b2 i,
0: I think that that the, the two dynamics being so different but also coming down coming down to that key loyalty right and like just having having that um that inherent trust seeing them as equals because um, that's that's something i always liked about cassian and k2 is that k2 was, was a was his partner it wasn't you know it was sort of like land like lando and l3 like there was an understanding there um whereas like some droids and part of this is which droids are bipedal and which are more like astromechs and it's it's sort of coded in your mind that some of them are pets sometimes it's the actors like uh, uh like poe dameron the, the real person like oscar Scratches BB-8's little belly, and so like that sort of gives us this visual language that he's like a pet. But B-2 being able to speak and having thoughts and and been wanting to speak up, like as part of the family, like when they were arguing in Episode Seven, like he is he somewhere between that old dog, like Tony described, but also someone that you can have a dialogue with, and and K-2 will be that sometimes too much i think 2 sometimes will you will say the thing you don't want to hear which is the opposite of b2 who definitely wants to please um and and wants to help and things and so it was it was extremely touching everything here and and you know there's one more ferric scene there's this phone call and everything but that has to first we have to get the backtrack a little for the last section here we're going to talk about the other two members of quote them boys It's Cassian and Melshi and we saw them running on the beach and it was freedom and it was great. And where are they going? Is there a spaceport nearby? And then this episode said, oh no, it's actually hell to get anywhere (laughs) on this planet. They have been, you get the idea that at least a couple days have gone by. Bloody hands, bloody feet, they're mountain climbing. Melshi can't feel his limbs when this starts. So tell me how you felt picking up with them here when maybe we expected them to just be at Niamos when this episode started.
1: I feel like I, they were exactly where I expected them to be. It just felt so like... I felt like this is exactly how Melshi and Cassian would be on a mission and the rebellion together. Like I, It just felt like a big parallel moment to a scene we haven't even gotten yet. Yeah. I loved that Melshi was just so... Like a guy who is just so willing to like do nothing in the prison to being the first to start running towards a ship with no plan was my favorite thing to see. <laughs> and- like
0: it's such an interesting comment. Not to cut you off, but just like that idea that you're talking about of like the missions we haven't seen yet, how they already have the rapport. Like, yeah, it was forged in the prison, but it makes me think of make ten men feel like a hundred, and how Melshi's part of that. Like Cassian is sort of like the gasoline on Melshi's fire. Like, it's like Cassian is that element that can get Melshi to do greater. That's why they work as professionals, but also like he can't climb until Cassian tells him until he doesn't yeah. be okay. Like he needs affirmation.
1: And I, I love that Cassian, I don't know why I love this, but I just love that Cassian wasn't like, you can do it. Like you can totally climb. I know you can. I've seen your potential. He was just like, yeah, I hear you. I hear you, and I think that that is so painfully Cassian in such like a an amazing way. Like I, I, and it's probably so painfully Melshi too. If we get more of him, like I just loved that scene in particular because it was so subtle, but it was like their friendship has blossomed. I think a little more than we actually know than we've seen, and I'm excited to see it blossom more if we get to if he comes into season two,
2: but... like Yeah, exactly what you were saying about that scene where instead of just encouraging him, he's like, I hear you. Like, I'm with you. I'm I'm with you in this moment. We're in this together. It was like sort of a solidarity sort of thing. And then Mel, she's like, goes back on what he would said before because he was basically telling Cassian, like, stop telling me they're leaving. Like, I don't want to hear it because they'd probably been circling for a while and he was tired of like hearing it and then not nothing coming of it. For him to acknowledge what Cassian said... And be like, okay, yeah, tell me they're leaving. And Cassian's, yeah, they're leaving. Like, just that little, just that first scene of them just so sets up their friendship, like the dynamic between them. And then when we see them, you know, staking out the two aliens, uh, or I, I don't know, Narcanians, I think it was, is what the dialogue and the subtitles said. And Mel, she's like right there on the edge. And he's like, yeah, okay, so, you know, this is, this is how it is. And Cassian's like, you know, all right, yeah. And they go down there and... Melshi just running out there. He's like, "Okay, oh, fly a ship." And he's like, "Well, yeah, I guess it's pretty old." And he's like, "Okay, that's all I need to hear." And he just goes for it. And I just thought that was so like, yeah, how we're saying we're hearing, we're seeing more. To
1: add on to that, the part where Cassie, where Melshi was like, "Can you pilot it?" makes me wonder if there's been like little tidbits of conversation where Cassian is like, Oh, well I can fly.
2: Yeah. Like (laughs) their friendship
1: happening off screen. Like I, I I could
2: watch an entire show of just Cassian and (laughs) Melshi. And I will say, I will say something else about this because when I listened to the interview with Duncan recently and um. I think it was the Rogue Ones was the podcast. Um, Duncan was talking about how basically he he said he was almost like a reflection of himself too. Like he said that Melshi was almost sort of like himself. And so he's an independent thinker and he had decided that, Hmm. you know, there's no way I'm getting out of this prison. And, you know, that's what he had decided, but he never... He, he didn't give up on the possibility. And so it was like, he, he basically said he was waiting for someone like Cassian to come along, like that he was ready for someone like Cassian to come along. And then when he did, he was willing to, to be a part of, um, something that he could like something worth dying for freedom, you know, the potential of freedom. And, um, he said he was like a, a man of quiet conviction. Um, and we see that because Melshi doesn't talk too much. And when he does, he's it's because he believes in what he's like, he believes in what he's saying. So I, I just, I love seeing more of him. I loved seeing more of him in this episode and how he interacted with Cassian and how he how the both of them just got the the way he ran and then Cassian's like no wait Ah, okay I'll go with you and they're going in together like they're doing everything together and they both end up in those nets and uh, yeah just the fact that (laughs) like <laughs> can we talk about
0: how gross those nets
2: it were? was <laughs> so gross
0: <laughs> like yeah i was actually talking to molly damon from star wars explained and she brought up how it reminded her of of shelob and everything that happened in return of the king and 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 frodo and just not just like the foaming at the mouth but particularly when he when he opened <laughs> they open it he's like a mummy in there yeah. like it was totally that vibe that there it's like this weird organic material and i love that you know tony i'm gonna make it Kind of not Star Wars. Gilroy was like, haha, fooled you. I gave you a huge space battle scene and two of the gluppiest shittos that ever existed in the history of glup shittodom, one of whom uh, ends up being a partisan. Um, I forget the gentleman's name.
1: It's like a funky name. I'll have- it really is. I know where not it is. That's saying something.
0: Sizen Ock or something?
1: C Y C Y E D space O
2: C K. Syset okay. yeah. Syset So we need to someone needs to submit this person to the Glub shadow account to yeah, be oh, posted. Yeah. If, if Twitter survives.
0: Yeah. If there's still a Twitter by the time this episode's released, someone hit up the Glub shadow account for Syset Um, who was here. They're talking about water. They're they're doing their little 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 scene there and they realize that these are prisoners that they didn't weren't actually imperials and they just like hey yeah we'll give you a ride nice to see a quad jumper again some sequel trilogy love in there and then they make it to Niamo. So where cassian wants to go which if you were playing at home you knew where the blaster was you knew where the money was and where the manifesto was so someone had to hit it up and i'm really glad that uh evidently security at that hotel is terrible so While Sai said, goes to become a partisan, and yes, you can see him in Rogue One. He's on screen um, when Jin gets to the partisan base. These two boys, they decide to go to Niamo's, and we don't see them land there. We cut to Cassian and he's getting his stuff while two aliens are asleep in bed just trying to live life and uh, at some point Melshi went shopping or stole someone's clothes on the beach there and he straight up looks like he's in Miami now as if it wasn't already Miami now it truly is
1: i i I don't know if you know this m- yeah. meme within Latin American families but we have this saying hmm. where it's at every Latin American family's dinner table there's one white man <laughs> do you have that? Oh well, that that's yeah. That's Melshi at Cassian's table. Oh, He's that. <laughs> he was like he gave him these. He definitely gave him this like space guayabera and mm-hmm. this necklace and these tom these like space toms <laughs> and he like, sat him down at the table and was like you're a free man now
0: there's <laughs> a, a plate yeah yeah i just give him a blaster i i just love the i mean not to undercut the emotion it's very emotional it's beautiful but it's it's star wars is great because you think about the off-screen moments and it's just so funny oh where's the scene of these two aliens like landing and then being like well bye guys well, thanks. Uh, good to meet you, I guess. Like, what was that plane ride like? And then you've also got like now, like, Melshi and Cassie. I'm like, Melshi's making good points. Like, he's right. Someone does need to tell the story about the prison and what's going on. So I'm just assuming he'll have his own adventure. Maybe they could do a Melshi, like, you know, YA novel or like a, a five-issue comic or a middle grade or something about his journey toward the rebellion. Because I'm assuming there'll be a nice reunion in season two. Um, but it's the... The splitting up of like, well, here's a blaster and uh, I'll text you never or <laughs> I, I, how does that work?
1: I have so many thoughts about this scene and I'll, or this like arc, I suppose, or this like storyline. But first on Narkeena 5 with the two glove shadows, because I cannot remember their names right now. <laughs> They're going off about like how the, how the Empire has like messed with their water and how it's messed with just their way of life. And my favorite thing is that we see the, like, solidarity between citizens here. Like, they're like, it wasn't us, it was the Empire. And instead of, like, keeping them in the gross little prisons they like literally fly them to the and they help these two strangers out because they've been affected by the empire and i loved seeing that and then on neamos if people watched the like leaked footage of duncan and diego on set filming this scene i will say as much as i was anticipating this scene i was sad that the shot wasn't pulled out just a little bit because mm. they were both talking with their hands mm. and i feel like their hands said so much mm. like Melshi's Melshi was uh, obviously the audience won't be able to see what i'm doing but like he's kind of gesturing and he's like i like we have to do this we have to split up and i there was so much being said with just his hands that I feel like it would have added a lot more to the scene. But then I know that there was the emotional aspect where like Cassian just lost his mother. So we have to see like the, the glossy eyes. And I thought for a split second that Melshi was also getting emotional physically, like viscerally. I I don't know if it was just me, but it, it was definitely like a moment that they were both, Lindsay, you said this today, where like Cassian had this like gut feeling where th- their time was coming to an end. And then he gets this calm, or he calms somebody and he finds out that his mother is dead. And once again, he's like completely and utterly alone. And he has to face that on that shoreline. And I love that we have. Cassian on a shoreline, completely and utterly alone, and then in Rogue One we have Cassian on a shoreline, not alone. In a moment where he probably thought, like his entire life, that he would be alone, he had somebody with him. So, Yeah.
0: beautifully, beautifully said. I love that what you talked about the themes of the togetherness that is born out of oppression, especially of, of you know the common people and the common cause. And we don't speak the same. We certainly don't look the same. But we, they've messed with our home and they've displaced you, and they're displacing us. And and sort of how and that even carries through from the Aldani arc too. This idea of I mean that's what turned Gorn was seeing. You know, falling for somebody from the, that people and that love all that, all the togetherness it's been carrying throughout the season. But also this point about Cassian, like this show begins with him. Like I don't want to be alone. That I want to find my sister. I I wasn't alone before. I want to find her. Whether that story is is picked up again or not, we know Marva said to stop looking. We're not sure what she knows or doesn't know, or knew or didn't know because she's passed on now, and so it sort of dies with her as of right now. Um, but it's an interesting point um, to consider every this this back and forth like I had, my sister in our community, then that was taken from me. But I gained Marva, but then that was taken from me. But then I gained Kino, and Kino died. I gained melshi and now we have to part ways. Like, it's this constant gaining and losing and gaining and losing and gaining and losing, even more than he even realizes at this point because Val and Luthen are trying to kill him. Like, he's got even more betrayals in his life and many more to come. And we know there's still years of Cassian adventures between this and Rogue One. But again to know that rogue one even starts with him killing one of his own allies like then you become the thing that's doing it and how interesting that is for for his arc so uh yeah linds what about you with this this goodbye and you know as savvy added in the the phone call that sort of brings it all together
2: of her passing well i think this also with the phone call with cassian realizing that his mother has passed when people, when the audience, there was a, a part of the audience that was in denial about Marva's death, and they assumed perhaps this was like a bait and switch, or, you know, like she's not really dead, and, and the, you know, different reasons. Like they assumed that maybe she w- hadn't passed because we didn't see it. We didn't see her again. And I, I think that this was very wisely chosen because the, the decision to do that, to not show it, because that's B2's point of view because he didn't see it and he's in denial mm-hmm. just like we might be. And then Cassian didn't get to see her again. So neither do we, like we don't get to. See, I mean, we did see her a little bit in the episodes between when Cassian was gone, but like, we didn't get to see her again or he didn't get to see her again. So we, don't, we neither do we.
0: It's very emotionally um, isolating. Yeah.
2: Exactly. It definitely puts you in his perspective and B2's perspective. Yeah. It's the discomfort of having no
1: closure. Exactly. Um, especially with like there's probably a lot of uh, um, conversation that wasn't had between Cassian and Marva which like about how Marva and Cassian came to become a family yeah. so I'm sure that Cassian has always had these thoughts in his mind he's grown older they've you know surfaced and become like a little bit more um like strong it's in his ex- old-
0: it's a little explosive I mean in yeah the first, the first arc when they are yelling at each other and he doesn't, he doesn't want to be yelling at his mother, but it's this back and forth and they're trying to settle the Canary stuff and the report from Primor and everything like, yeah, he's sat with us for a long time. And it's the cumulative build, too, because he's already lost a parent and got no closure. It was already a tumultuous time and Clem was just trying to calm everyone down and be sort of a, a, a paternal figure to the town. And he died for it. And that burns Cassian. And he tried to do something about it and he got burned again. And it's like this all these things things unsaid and all these endings that you didn't choose. And yeah. I think that's the thing is that he Cassian's never gotten to choose any of his own any of his endings at any chapter until and, one. Yeah.
2: yeah. And and the big thing that a lot of people were talking about was how he wanted to pass on this message to Marva, you know, like, you know, that he's thinking of her and that that she would be proud of him. Hmm. And it just almost makes you want to cry right now because he knew that he was letting her down in a lot of ways. You could tell that he knew it. He wasn't there, you know, when he could have been. He he knew it, but she gave him grace and she said, you know, you can go like, this is where I'm supposed to be, but I'm letting you go. And you can be who you, you know, be who you want to be, like, go your own way, but I need to stay. And we know that there was things that happened before Andor even picked up. We we saw the type of person that Cassian had become in the community. And we knew that Marva wasn't always um, happy with his choices. And so he did something that he knew that she'd be proud of, but now he can never even tell her. Mm-hmm. He'll, she'll never know. And that must just tear him apart we see it tear him apart and so many people are making the connection to that being like Cassian's last line in Rogue One you know your father would have been proud of you to jin because she would he would never see what jin had done just the way that marva would never see what cassian had done
0: I think that' and... it has been it's been recontextualized now as the ultimate moment of relatability of moments before his death and it is a quick death it is mm-hmm. it is the death star like moments before being evaporated Cassie and Andor had a moment where he realized someone else gets that feeling yep and that's such a profound thing of, of some when somebody I mean that's trauma bonding like that yeah that is that how many who amongst us does not have a friend that you exclusively like our friends because oh 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 you have a you have dad issues too or you have sibling issues you have this you were you know traumatized in this way that way and even though it's right before they both die it's the most like it's pure it's very pure it was already very pure even as just a movie but it's so much more
1: now like
2: that yeah yeah, that line will never that line will never be the same to me now, like it was so impactful to begin with yeah. that he would show that compassion to her and speak to that in her mind. Because even in the novel, I was reading it. I was reading that part today. She she was moved by that because in her mind, she didn't just come to Scarif because she wanted to make her father proud, but it was something that she held inside of her that she she hoped that she could. Mm-hmm. And and she she thought about this earlier in the book too. But then right right in that moment that Cassian spoke to that something that they never. They never communicated to each other, but he just knew it that that's exactly what she needed to hear. It is so beautiful. And, so it's, beautiful. It's,
0: and that's the man that he spared. And we talked about that on Stardust Records, the idea of, of course, I'm not going to kill someone's father. Like I've, I've done a lot of terrible things, but now knowing about Clem and, Cassie and Andor and the two of them as a duo I know some people see it as romantic other people don't whatever your interpretation is that has gotten so much richer just because of this show she's not even in it so when I hear people mm-hmm. say that they want Tony Gilroy to do a gin project I completely understand them and I agree seeing Jin, you know at the same time what are her stories right now with no saw and nobody and I think there's one forces of destiny that she's in that's before Rogue One I I think that I might be two. one or two of them yeah where uh-huh. she she's on her own she helps a child i think in one of them which was really cute yeah, yeah.
2: she meets sabine yes,
0: yes that's right that's what it is it is the sabine crosser oh, i gotta rewatch all those.
1: what's interesting i guess just to like wrap this part up essentially with like the whole thought that like there's this lyric, I guess, and not to be cliche, but like this like invisible string mm-hmm. attached to somebody, and in it, like, like throughout this whole season, I've thought of Jin. There's just been so many parallels and and like nods, essentially, with being without being super in your face. Besides like the Kyber crystal, but like everything else, I just feel like is such a nod to her character because we we like learn. It, from like the actors and like the writers and even in the movie that they're supposed to be a mirror of each other so it's just so interesting to see because hmm. we get a, a a hint of jen's backstory in rebel rising and then now we're getting like the nitty-gritty of cassians so it's just wild to see like the similarities yeah,
0: yeah. Play out. and you know felicity jones if you're listening i know you check out the show sometimes no that's never <laughs> happened we would love to have you back I know I think this is peak for everybody like she's so good in that role I think that one of the finest acting moments I've ever seen in any film particularly in any Star Wars film is her watching that message there is yeah there's shock disbelief a re-mourning but also a reawakening there's there's glee there's heartache i it my goodness like i think you could if you had to nail a top five acting performances in star wars she has to be in there so and and, and some of diego's finest moments too uh and all of star wars some of the finest star wars moments but particularly for him are in this show and in this episode and this ending this this processing as he looks out over the beach is um powerful it's extremely powerful the cinematography um the nicholas Bertel score just everything about this again to end like you said this is a bridge this is getting everyone to the place they need to be and now it's like if if the message he's passing is she would have been proud of me and now he knows she can't know this. She can't get this message. Then, of course, you have a driving energy now for him to say, well, then I'm going back, I think is it's such a powerful note. So if any of you have closing thoughts, let me know. Now's
1: the time.
2: I just thought it. I, I, for me personally, I thought it was really poignant. We like to use this word, Savi and I, that they had that shot on a beach with mm-hmm. the ocean in the background and it wasn't just the nod towards rogue 1 but it was also the sky was yellowing and there was there was sun rays coming down and you could you could make so many parallels between then of rogue 1 and and that but yeah. someone else made a parallel to seeing marva in the sunlight looking back at Cas, little casa casa that scene oh. Just parallel I, oh
0: I cried. Let me tell you, I, I've mentioned this before. I, I was lucky enough to see those those first three episodes um a little early and th- I don't think there was a dry eye in the house um, when when you get the inner cut of him leaving with Luthan and her looking back and smiling at him. And I will say, and this is I don't mean to brag, but I'm about to. We watched those first three episodes with Fiona Shaw in the room and I I, I knew where she was sitting because Diego and Tony had read everyone's names and were being all cool about it. And I remember we clapped at the end of that. I remember looking back at that woman in her blue dress and just being like, like, oh, we're so lucky. My God. Um, Fiona Shaw you're the MVP Marva. We love you. Um, then we're going to miss you. And, uh, I think it was so great to get, uh, <laughs> I was about to say so great to get a mother story through Marva. So great to get a mother story through Marva, Mathma and Edie three very different kinds. This was a star Wars mom show. Um, as much as it's usually fathers and sons, we've expanded that with Hera. Um, we've expanded that with Lyra. We've expanded that a few different times. Read Shadow of the Sith if you want some awesome mom stuff because uh, Ray's mom, uh, she is... Phenomenal shout out to Miramir, um, which Savi will know it's hard to say Miramir without saying Miramar, uh, <laughs> as in I, M- Miramar, Florida. I, I kept calling her Miramar while reading the book.
1: I was also thinking, uh, Amir,
0: yeah, oh, yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, so yeah, so definitely a, a, just a really poignant way to go out. Beautifully done. And uh, I love that you brought up that parallel. Uh, Savi, what about you? Any, any last thoughts or we we'll are get out of here?
1: Honestly, Lindsay said everything I was thinking with it ending on a beach and yeah. that beautiful sunrise or sunset, whichever it was, either or. But it was just, like we love to say, it was super poignant. And it was the perfect ending to a chapter where the next one is going to be can I say balls to the wall on this?
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> or the next chapter will just be balls to the wall because we all oh, know yeah. that that's coming. <laughs> it's
0: going to be. And, and, and you know, I'll close out by saying this. Niamos as much as I love it and it's cool and I'd love to see it again, and it is Miami, the, the narrative purpose, the themes of that planet, if Tatooine is thematically this place of birth and rebirth of the Chosen One and then that's where Boba Fett dies and is reborn. and shmi is laid to rest there like alderaan is this place of paradise and of home and naboo is like you know the, the idea of the symbiote circle like every star wars jakku being about the shadow of the previous war every star wars planet has a core theme that you can find coruscant now there's many depending on where you are the theme of nyamos is running away it's a resort and the fact that you have the second to last episode there it's like yeah no you can't run anymore and he, we had, he tried it, went to jail. Now he's back there. And it's like one more choice and Melshi makes his choice. He's got his mission and now you have yours. And it's such a cool way to go out. So all that being said, we have covered everything. This has been great. Uh, you have both been wonderful. I love chatting with you. I'm glad we got to do it again so soon. We'll, go, we'll start with Linz, then go to Savi and then Savi also do the show. Let everybody know where they can find you, provided that a Twitter.com still exists. Of course, if it doesn't, we'll see you where we see you.
2: All right. Well, you can find me, Linz, at a cosmic love on twitter and also at rebel risen on instagram
1: and you can find me sabi unfortunately it'll only be on twitter but if it's if it's done for then you'll never see me again (laughs) (laughs) but uh, you can find me at andorisms so andor and then isms uh, or you can find me as an admin on at news andor
0: yeah. And then, uh, of course we're, I'm going to keep you updated as, as I edit these episodes and if there's any changes to anyone's socials or anything in between this, the posting that what's down in the social links and everything in the description of the episode, we'll be able to find them. And then if at any point you're like, Hey, I love those two. I love Savvy and Linz, but I can't find them anywhere. Just ask me. I'll find them and i'll let you know i will i will be Melshi and tell their story and tell you <laughs> w- what's going on with stardust <laughs> records um as for me personally again you can find me everywhere twitter instagram tiktok all that good stuff at that alden diaz t-h-a-t-a-l-d-e-n-d-i-a-z octo radio is on all your podcasts but mostly apple and spotify if you're there leave stars leave reviews it helps us fight uh the algorithms and get our shows out there and continue these wonderful discussions uh, our rebels rewatch is going to be continuing soon uh, me and nikki kumar on a rewatch between worlds one of our sister shows here that i also do you can find me talking about lord of the rings house of the dragon game of thrones and yes willow over on casterly talk with my friend and collaborator ken napsok i recently wrote for star trek.com hope to be doing some of that again soon but in the meantime for me for Savi, for Linz, for melchie and his new miami shirt we will catch you next time punch it chewy